Hi, everyone. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And you're listening to A Date with Dateline. Should we do a trigger warning for this episode? It's pretty rough. Yeah, I would say it's definitely rougher than 99% of the episodes that we cover. You listen to the first hour. Yeah. We'll give a warning when we get to that part. How about that? Because up until that, it's fun murder stuff. Yeah. And then it gets not fun as much. Yeah. Then there's some just unbelievably sad items to be discussed. So this is Angels and Demons, hosted by Dennis, of course, because they have to give Dennis the weird, freaky-deaky, uncomfortable. I thought Dennis was perfect for this. Daddy Dennis. He is. He is who I want to be. Like, I want him to be my counselor with a jacket with elbow patches Yeah, the suede elbow patches. I think that, honestly, he is... There's something about his little face, the way that he's looking at some of the people in this episode. It's just the right face. Do you know what I'm saying? There's like a softness about him. Yeah. He's our precious baby, Dennis. Yeah, he really is. He's a good spirit. So this is season 23, episode 46. It aired originally on May 1st, 2015. There was a tiny, tiny update at the very end. So I watched the original version, and then I watched the update at the end. The original version is also called Angels and Demons? Yes. Hmm. 2001. Sarah and Emily grew up in the Midwest, Kansas City, Missouri. We've talked about this. Cities? Mm-hmm. Can cities give me a call? Because I do not like when you are named after not the state that you're in. It's very confusing to me. But Kansas City is half in Kansas. Yeah, I guess that's okay. I remember when the Super Bowl thing happened and it was very embarrassing for certain people. (laughs) (laughs) Not for me. I don't care. And I made no comment. Other people. That's the one time I will give grace and say it's kind of understandable. Right. So Sarah and Emily had a normal upbringing with mom and dad. Not that it's not normal. I'm just saying what Dateline said. If you have a single mom, it's still normal. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to be politically correct. Okay, so Sarah was 16. Emily was nine. She was the young sister. She was the teacher's pet. She said she was a kiss up. Hi, younger Kimberly. Hello. I resonated with that. Also, I feel like that's important for later, for her personality. And so that summer, the parents got divorced. The mom, Jennifer, was showing a house she was a realtor, to a new client, Lou Castro. Dennis says Lou Castro looks like a well-heeled cowboy. He has a Western hat on, which I did not know that that was a thing. I thought it was just called a cowboy hat. I Googled it. It's also called a Western hat. So Dennis, you're always right. And I also didn't realize that they got divorced before. I thought he was in the picture before, so I had that time wrong. I thought they met and then she got divorced, but no, they got divorced separately. I believe so. Oh, okay. So Lou is very charismatic, and Dateline has to tell us this over and over again because we're not seeing it. From the pictures that we're seeing, I don't get it. We have to trust Dateline on this. But Dateline says it, so that's why they keep saying it. He liked to talk about how much money he had in stocks and cars, and he had a mansion, and he had a cattle, and he was looking for an area for this commune for a group of, a new agey group. And so he wanted to set up in Kansas City, Missouri. So he buys property, but then he decides to pick up and move again to Wichita. And by this point, Jennifer 
who's now single, has fallen under charismatic Lou Castro's spell. She decides to uproot the kids and move to Lou's new compound in Wichita and be part of the commune because he was very charming. So they create this spread. They built houses and a pool. They call it Angel's Landing. The group ate all of their meals together. Mom stayed as a realtor. Brian, who was part of a married couple, was a mechanic. Trish, his wife, would watch the kids. Lou was the leader of it all. And Lou would throw big drunken parties every weekend. And Lou loved toys. He had these huge radio-controlled planes. He would go to the car dealership and just buy a Corvette. Like, I would buy a can of Sprite Zero because it's back in stock now. Who knew? Crisis averted. Uh, I don't think you knew there was a huge crisis going on. And we were discussing it on Twitter, and I tried to get to the bottom of it. I thought I was going to be snuffed out because I thought I was approaching on some information of a conspiracy that I wasn't supposed to keep digging. You were getting too close. I got too close, but then now it's back in stores. So either I solved it or there was no conspiracy. But there was a giant aluminum shortage, apparently. And they stopped releasing a lot of their products. And they are considering phasing out some of their less popular drinks. So some of our listeners who like Diet Cherry Coke Zero or whatever, that's a lesser product, sorry to say. And you are going to get phased out. Is Sprite Zero being phased out? I don't think Sprite Zero is one of the lessers because I'm a basic B. So if I like it, it's probably pretty basic. Don't think you're right on that. Well, there was tons of it at the store today, and it's been gone for months. But that's exciting. Congratulations, Model Toff. So my summer has been saved. 2020, officially saved. Good. You can move forward. I'm proud. I'm but glad. But ironically, I've gotten like off of it. I'm more into water now because... Because it's been gone so long. But now I had to buy it when I saw it at the store because now it's back. Mm, understood. Anyways, sidebar. Lou threw drunken parties. Loved his fancy cars. He had trucks and SUVs and Corvettes. And his cars had vanity plates that said Angel 1, Angel 2, Angel 3, and so on and so forth. He's not very clever, is he? It's as tacky, too. That's like... It's not as tacky as Baby 1, Baby 2, Baby 3, like the cars are his babies. That's worse. Yeah. Angel's not great, but I don't know, baby. Sarah and Emily were the girls on the property. They got everything they wanted, especially Emily. Emily was the princess of the commune. She got horses, Mm. which Dennis was like, you were that little spoiled bee girl who got horses and no one liked you. She's like, yeah. He did not say that. No, it's the Seinfeld episode, the pony episode. No one liked a girl who had horses growing up. And we know it's true. But I'm going to say generally the girls that got ponies weren't very nice. That's true. And Emily seems very nice. She's kind of the exception to the rule, I ha- I have to say. Because, yeah, most girls that own their own horses that I mean, I knew like one and she wasn't very nice. She's the kind of girl that would want you to go up to somebody and say something mean as a dare. <gasps> what are the girls on recess? Is there Britney's? Britney B, Britney one, Britney two, or like Britney B, Britney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They would have horses. So one day in 2003, Trish, the mom of the married couple, and she had her own toddler and was like a second mom to Emily and Sarah, was found floating face down in the pool. A 
apparently her mm. toddler fell in the pool and Trish tried to save her but hit her head. And little Emily, who was 11 at the time, got the baby out, but she couldn't lift Trish. So Trish is dead and they ruled that it was a freakish accident. So one person now dead in this group. Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell are laughing. They're like, you call this a cult? Only one death? Take several seats, Lou. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, does it? That Emily would not be able to lift her because, first of all, she's in water. So, yes, Emily would be able to lift her. And maybe she couldn't lift her out of the pool. But on the whole commune, there was not another adult present this day? There was not. Also on Twitter, someone did clarify that when you drown, the lungs fill with water and you get very heavy and you're not as buoyant. There we go. That would make sense, too. Sorry, how many people constitute a commune? Because... We only hear about there's two families. It was a commune light, L-I-T-E, I would say. Diet commune. Wannabe commune. Locale commune. Got it. Yeah. The aspartame version of commune. Carb-free commune. Anymore? Yeah. Okay. No, I'm done. So Brian now is raising the toddler alone. The commune continues. Now let's go to Cody Griffin, who was part of the commune in Corpus Christi, which makes me think there had been other people who broke apart from the commune. There were like floaters. There were people on the outskirts of the commune too, I think. There was like an inner circle, the popular kids at the table, like the, and then there were the ones that sat at the other tables in the cafeteria, I think. Okay. And I'm assuming that when enough people leave the commune, that's when the commune moves or when something major happens? I would guess. Yes. And I think all these people that came to these drunken parties were commune adjacent. They were like acquaintances slash friends of the commune. But they didn't necessarily live there because the properties that he's buying are huge. They are. But this commune only had like two or three houses on it. Mm -hmm. This is interesting. I wonder what their doctrine must be strange. Okay. Oh, yeah. Interesting. All right. So Cody, his mom, Mona, was friends with Trish, who passed away. But this was before. This was years before. Trish got her involved in the commune. Cody, we should say, Cody kind of sounds like a bag of wieners name. He's delightful. Not at all bag of wieners. Bow. He's a delight. Wonderful. So Cody's mom, Mona, wanted to pick up the family, sound familiar, and follow Trish and Lou and the commune to South Dakota with Cody's little sister and Cody. But Cody said, no, I'm not going. I'm staying with my dad. So Cody stays back home. South Dakota, Mona gets a boyfriend, a private plane pilot. One day, Mona and the boyfriend decide to fly Mona's little daughter, Lindsay, to Nebraska for her birthday which seems like an odd place to go for a... Well, I'm sure it's beautiful. I'm guessing there's something there. Was there an amusement park or a field that they wanted to show her? There's something neat there that they're doing. I think it's more than a field. I think there's some sort of... The largest ball of twine. I think that's in Texas. Well, it's just a flying trip, so maybe just for fun anyways. Right. It is just fun to go fly. I don't know. Those little planes are scary, but yeah. And I'm not saying, Nebraska, you have nothing. I just don't know what you have, but I'm sure you have great things. I think you owe Nebraska an apology. I'm saying I apologize right now. That's good. She didn't mean it. She just hasn't spent a lot of time there. Once I get my van, because van life is up and running, in my mind at least, I'm watching the videos I mean a lot on YouTube, 
I will drive through Nebraska and see how beautiful I'm sure it is. There you go. So that and that's a promise to you, Nebraska, that you did not care about or need me to hold to because you don't care. So they go on this flight and the plane goes missing. Lou, interestingly enough, a former Navy plane mechanic, he helps organize the search and rescue, working with the local police to figure out what happened. Mona's sisters come into town for the search and they were very impressed with Lou. They also noticed that he seemed especially popular with the girls, all of Lindsay's school friends. This is when you go, hmm. And even little baby pure Dennis says, was something creepy about that? And he's like- He qualifies it though, which is lovely. I don't want to put something in your mind that's not there, but (laughs) is there something, I'm going to, is there something creepy about that? Yeah. (laughs) And the sister said, well, yeah, kind of, because they seem to know only him and not Mona, Lindsay's actual mom. And so she thought that was strange. And when Dennis is asking if it's creepy, Dennis, who has been to Master Bob's sex dungeon in Secrets in the Suburbs on our Patreon, Dennis knows creepy. So Lou is a creep. He's a weirdo. What the hell is he doing here? He don't belong here. Joni will not get that joke. So the wreckage is found. No survivors. So now four people are dead. And we are approaching Vallo Daybell territory. Lori and Chad are like, Okay, Lou, I see you. I see Mm. you. Stop trying to compete with us, Lou. Yeah, I'm getting a little threatened. Cody said Lou was distraught. He said, Lindsay wasn't supposed to be on that plane. Mm. That's a weird thing to say. That's not a sentence you want to hear. He also said, if your mom had just been the one that died with her boyfriend, I would have raised Lindsay like he had it planned. And Cody was like, hey, we have a dad. So that's weird. Also... Why would you have thought about that? Yeah. That's weird. So the investigation finds that nothing was wrong with the plane. Hmm. And it was just bad weather. Okay. Okay. Dennis pushes Cody and says, because it's Dennis, he has to make people cry. And he says, what do you miss about your sisters, your sister and your mom? And Cody starts crying and is bent over. And Dennis says, Cody, I don't need think you need to put any words to it. And it was beautiful, precious moments times a thousand. It was my precious moment for the episode until I watched the rest of the episode. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely, I said out loud, and I don't normally talk out loud to the episodes. And I was like, oh, Dennis. <laughs> but he nailed it. Oliver was like, what? He nailed the moment. He pushed him to cry. And then he cried so strongly that Dennis said, you don't even need to say words. Yeah. He was like, we have We understand. Son. There might as well have been a son in there. It was that kind of a yes. moment. Cody, son, I don't think you need to say anymore. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's great. So Lou and Trish take care of where Mona would be buried. They didn't ask the sisters. Very weird. And then in the obituary, it says that she survived by three sisters and one brother, Lou Castro. And the sisters are like, what? When did we have a brother? Who wrote the obit? He did? He did. He and Trish took care of everything. So that's weird. Lou tried to cheer up the commune. He brought in a new girlfriend and she got pregnant. Again, he's not attractive. Just feel like pointing that out. Yeah. Okay, so they got more vehicles. Fun times. 
they all had the dealership owner's cell phone numbers, even like Sarah and Emily. So they could call and say, hey, Chuck, can I get a red XL7 ampersand B Ultra Corvette with the wings? Uh, is that a thing? <laughs> with wings? With, Extra like, protection? Like with, no, I think that's not like that. Um, <gasps> No, it's very strange. It's really bizarre. Why would they have his number? So he spent a million and a half dollars in cars in a few years. He donated $19,000 to the police force so they could get a new police car. And the cops were always allowed at the big parties. So much so that Sarah even dated a cop. Oh, and Dennis asked it in a very funny way. He's like, a member of the group was even dating a cop. And that member, and she's like, that was me. That was me. So the cops are in the pocket of this commune. Let's start calling it a cult. It's a cult. I'm just going to switch. It's a cult. So Mm -hmm. all the cops love him, and they're just partying hard, except for a local detective named Goodwin, and he thought it smelled fishy. So he started looking at Lou and the deaths and the unexplained wealth that this man had to have. So he tries to look up who is Lou Castro in the system, but there's nothing there. He's a ghost. He goes through Lou's trash, but he can't get Lou's fingerprints from the trash. It's getting weirder. Then Brian, Trish's husband, suffers a horrible accident. He was visiting family in South Dakota. He was talking to Lou on the phone, Lou in Wichita, and he said, can I talk to my daughter, the toddler, who is now a little bit older, and said goodbye to her. And then a couple hours later, they heard that he had been crushed under a car that he was working on. He's a trained mechanic. So now there's five bodies. We are officially in Vallo de Bell territory. But this did not happen. None of these are happening besides the pool on the actual commune property. Correct. One happened in the sky. Interesting. That Lou is nowhere there. Right. Nowhere there. Sometimes I say Hmm. just great sentence structure. The the structure is important. Then, very strange. The detective followed Lou to a restaurant and talked to the manager and collected his dishes and his glasses afterwards so he could get his fingerprints. Guess what? No fingerprints on his dishes or glass. So he. How did he do that? He's Kevin Spacey from Seven. That's what I thought. Okay, great. Or he is a demon or an alien from another planet who has different skin ridges. What else? Thought immediately that he was had filed down his fingerprints, had done the peel off or wore band-aids on all of the tips of his fingers all the time. I just thought he had like a trick, but I don't actually know how he did it. This man is so not cute. And if I saw him wearing band-aids on all his fingertips, it would actually track. Yeah. No, that seems still it seems it keeps him at the same level of attractiveness for me, actually. What why did the band-aids on the fingertips Anybody else, it would make me, it would lower them in my esteem. And I would think that was incredibly weird and gross. I more meant like tape. I more meant like how sports people tape their fingers. I was thinking more like that. Band-Aids are kind of nasty. Yeah, they are. They get all sweaty and like slimy. I meant like tape. But still, I don't know how he did the glass. I'm guessing he drank out of a straw and then took the straw with him. That's my only thought. No, but you have to pick it up. Yeah. But he know, so he had to have something on his fingers. But why don't they tell us what he did? Or did he wipe everything down? Did he just wipe it? Maybe he just wipes every, maybe he's a wiper. Did he pick up the glass every time with a napkin? 
Yeah, see, if I was on a date with a guy and they picked up the glass every time with a napkin or had tape on their fingers. Yeah. I would still go on a second date with them. I'm pretty hard up, but... I don't think so. I think that would be a huge red flag for you, especially now after this episode. Yeah, but after COVID, I'd be like, okay, he just doesn't like germs. But let's just say if you do go on a date with someone like that, what's the first question you ask them? Um, do you have a commune? Yeah, that's exactly correct. Okay. Do you have a commune? Actually, then you get up and you say, oh, I'm so sorry. I have to, I have to pee right now, right. run to the bathroom, and then you call me and then I come in and I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm having a baby. I don't know. We'll do a whole thing. And then, yeah, we'll leave. <laughs> so then the detective decided to get really creative. He prints out a bunch of very glossy photos. I think he used a lot of printer ink, I'm guessing which is very expensive. He printed up these glossy photos and went to Lou and said, there's been a lot of burglaries in this neighborhood. He's undercover, pretending he's not a detective. There's been a lot of burglaries in this area. Can you look and see these cars and houses and trees and railroad stations? I don't know. And can you see if anything looks familiar to me? It's like a CAPTCHA. I was just going to say, can you identify the bridge in every single one of these pictures? Thank you. Yes, it's exactly like that. And Lou holds the envelope by the edges and then moves the photos with his fingernails. And I was, uh, uh, how long are his fingernails? I can't. I don't like when it's just like a little ridge that is long enough and you see a lot of white, or especially if it's on one finger, then I think you do cocaine. Yeah, that was Especially if it's your pinky. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm concerned. He's just getting less attractive to me at the moment. But I think that's okay. I don't think he's trying to win your affection. No, it's true. He doesn't care. I think the nails were really nasty to me, but it also maybe that's how he's, he's eating his food with his nails. Ugh. Is he picking up french fries with the pointy nails? Do nails not have DNA in them? I know we can get DNA from like clippings. But they weren't looking for his DNA because they didn't have anything to match it to. They were looking for fingerprints. I'm sure they would have loved to have gotten DNA too, right? Yeah, hmm. but it uh, wouldn't matter if he's not in the system. It wouldn't matter for fingerprints either. Is it just more likely that his fingerprints would be in the system? I think so. I don't know. Remember when we were kids and they would fingerprint kids in case you got kidnapped? Did they do that? Yeah. I feel like they still do. Let's press on. So the detective calls another detective named Clint Snyder, who worked the BTK killer. Very famous. Is he an FBI guy or is these still just detectives? He's just a detective. The second guy is an FBI guy and his name's John Sullivan. And he has an FBI mustache. So, you know, it's true. Absolutely. And so they check, they form this team. They check every Lou Castro in the U.S. and they can't find him in the FBI database of people. They have nothing. Like DMV, they can't find anything. So the car purchases on the compound, the utilities of the houses on the compound, none of those are under Lou's name. So he has no records. He is a ghost. Everything is under other compound commune cult members' names. Uh So in 2008... Sarah is 24, Emily 17, and their mom dies in a tragic accident. Oh, God. She swerved into an oncoming cement truck. No one has any idea what happened. All we find out is that she was doing really well and she had just bought a Yorkie. And I'm like, was the Yorkie in the car, Dateline? 
Oh, God. That does not tell us. So now it's six deaths. Every two and a half years, approximately, there's another death. This time, Lou decides to take off. He announces a big move. They're going to move to Tennessee this time. Emily doesn't want to, but Lou says, this is for you. We're moving the whole cult commune. He probably doesn't call it a cult to Tennessee so that you can go to Vanderbilt because that's where you want to go. And she's still the princess. Mm. So she's like, okay, Sarah is 24 and she's decidedly not the princess. So she decides to not go. She wants to stay near her dad. She tells Lou she's not going and he is scary angry about it. But she holds her ground. She doesn't go with them. She meets a guy named Daniel. He's in the National Guard and a veteran. And some people on Twitter were thirsty for him. She tells him (laughs) these stories about her past, all this stuff about the commune. She opens up and he starts thinking this is really not right. So he starts researching Lou and all these deaths and he has this information on his shoulders and he feels weighted with it. So he decides to send a letter to the FBI. He needed to unburden himself. He needed someone with a higher pay grade to start to look into this. He does the right thing. But this also makes more sense a little bit more later when we find out exactly what he knows, because at this point you're like, okay, so he knows that these feel like murders, Mm -hmm. but you don't know that there's this whole other set of information that he actually heard about until much later. Mm -hmm. But there's also the wealth, the money too. So it's the death and how does this man have like millions of dollars? Yeah, correct. And Very strange. A, no identity. And he has no idea they're already looking at him. So when they, the detectives get this letter, it, they've been looking at Lou for seven years now. And they get this email and they're so excited because now they have an inside man. And so they bring in Daniel and they try to get some intel from him. Now it's 2010. Lou is living with his fiance and their daughter. Again, he's not attractive, but is apparently charismatic. And Emily is living there and the other commune members, again, we don't know how big this commune is, in Tennessee in a very nice house. And the FBI is secretly bird-dogging the property. (laughs) Thank you, Dennis. That's one of those words I never thought I would use. I just didn't see how, in what way I would ever use it. And now I've used it. I need to know more about Dennis's childhood. Yes. Interesting terminology. We have questions, Dennis. Mm -hmm. Lou now suddenly wants to be called Joe. No longer Lou, call me Joe. Also, does he like three-letter names? Yeah, that's part of why he thinks he's charismatic, right? It's quick to remember. It's easy. It's like, oh, Joe. Yeah, Joe. But I feel like Joe's much harder to remember than Lou. Joe is much more common than Lou, I feel like. Right, exactly. Joe also, we come to find out. I don't know if we do come to find out in this episode. I may have found out later He's actually taking someone's identity. Do they tell us that in this? No. Okay, well, I'm telling us now. Okay. (laughs) That he actually is taking the identity of a dead person. They hint at that, but never really say it. So Ah, thank you. So the Tennessee cops help the detectives, and they figure out that this commune had just gotten a car registered to a Joe Venegas, and... That is Lou's really big mistake here, is he finally registers something in his own name, although it's his fake name, but it's his name. 
And so the cops start following him and they follow him to the bank and they watch him open a new bank account in Tennessee under Joe Venegas. And identity fraud is a federal crime. I guess they did tell us that he's, they stole his someone's identity. It's a federal crime, so they can arrest him on that. So they arrest him. And they search the house and they find 11 weapons to which Dennis asks very proudly, any smoking guns? Dennis, you are a delight. On fire. You cured my neck pain and you made everyone wear masks. You are amazing, Dennis. Dennis, we can't say enough. So Detective Goodwin calls Emily and tries to talk to her about Lou. And she's terrified. She won't tell him anything. But they don't know each other, right? They've never met. Goodwin and her? Yeah, that conversation is odd. Did you not find it odd? Yeah, it's a little odd because he says, hi, this is Detective Goodwin. Come home. She's like, what? Uh, No, yeah, I would be hesitant to come home. I'd probably just go sit at like a Dairy Queen. (laughs) Be like, you can come meet me at the Dairy Queen. Bring cash. Thanks. I need a blizzard. So... She won't tell them anything. And Lou, who is in prison now, isn't telling them his real name. And they fingerprint him, and it doesn't show up in any federal database. Oh, sweet Lord. The good news here is that he does seem to have fingerprints. Yay! Not a total alien demon, but he might be Nick Schneider, a ghost with fingerprints, because they're not in any federal database. How great would it have been if Nick Schneider had been the name he had chosen? That would have been just so good. I would have loved that. I mean, this happened before Lori Vallow, so it wouldn't have even been an homage. It would have been like a pre-foreshadowing. It would have been a weird coincidence. So he pleads guilty of ID fraud and gets two years in jail. And they basically think that he's doing this to stop, hopefully to stop them from looking at any more of his crimes. But it doesn't stop Detective Goodwin. He wants to get him on everything. So they go back, back, we rewind to South Texas, where Trish was from. And they question Trish's family. And they remember that she went off with this guy named Daniel Perez. So now we have two Daniels in this story, as if it couldn't get any more confusing. This Daniel, not good. No one on Twitter was thirsty for this Daniel. They find Daniel Perez in the system and there's a mugshot of him and it's a young Lou Castro. So that's his original biblical name. He has horrible hair, horrible hair, Daniel Perez. Mm -hmm. He had pleaded at the time, no contest to two sex crimes, but the cases were dropped because they believed that he was dead. He faked his death. And as Dennis says, went on the lamb. Thank you, Dennis. That's why he doesn't have any fingerprints because he's dead. He's the demon. He's, he is actually dead. He's Chauncey. He came back from the dead to haunt our nightmares. Sorry, I don't understand if he was under charges as Daniel Perez, why his fingerprints are not in the system and why it wouldn't come up as Daniel Perez. Maybe because they dropped it inactive. It's weird to me that he had charges that then they thought he was dead. So was he never actually brought in? Maybe he was never brought in. Maybe that's why. So there was a warrant, but not... was ex- Maybe that's why. Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. And then he faked his death, so they just dropped it. They were like, well, we can't arrest him now. So they never got fingerprints because he never came in. Right. Wow. Okay. 
He's a sneaky one. He's so sneaky. Oh. So Emily writes to Lou in jail, and she's telling him about how well she's doing in school and how happy she is. And his response was that he was mad at her for not caring about him. And she didn't like that. So she flips on him and stops, starts talking to Detective Goodwin. That was strange to me. It, I feel like it has to be more than he just wasn't excited to hear about your classwork that got you to flip. That seems strange to me. I think he's probably what he's doing is trying to pull a guilt trip on her, but she's older now and he's not around now. So he can't do it in person. He's doing it in a letter, you know? Mm-hmm. He's trying to still have control over her in prison, but mm-hmm. doesn't work for the first time. And so she flips. She starts talking to the police and so does Sarah. So they said this supernatural journey had all started when Sarah was 17 and Emily was 10. And their mom had met Lou Castro. And she had said to the girls, do you see something special about Lou? And they're like, I don't know. He seems pretty nice. And she said, he's a seer. And Dennis at this point says to Emily, a seer. And Emily says, a seer, which I, you know, I love my three piece. <laughs> and I think we should do them much more often. A seer, a seer. A seer. It's also a funny word to say. It's hard to say it like seer versus seer. Do you, can you hear the difference in what I'm saying? Yeah, no, not really. So like if I, I say I want them to sear a piece of steak, yeah, I would mm-hmm. not say I want a sear to tell me if I should eat more vegetables, which I should. Yeah, we all should. Hello, fresh. I'm just kidding. No <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, I feel like this is going to be all about the people who he's picking to tell this to, right? She was freshly divorced, right? We don't know exactly what happened in the marriage with the girl's dad. But he's picking, like, moms with daughters. Why was the married couple hanging around? Why were Trish and Brian hanging out? Well, Trish had been a friend of his for many years and followed him like he was a prophet. And when they moved to South Dakota, when Mona was there, her friend, and Mona hooked up with that pilot, that's when... Trish met Brian. So Brian wasn't originally part of the package. I see. So he told Jennifer, Sarah and Emily's mom, that he was thousands of years old and could see the future. Does this sound familiar at all? Yep, sure does. Was there a portal or did Lou not have (laughs) access to the closet portals? And when Lou goes into his closet, it's just Levi's and no portals. (laughs) Poor Lou. And Western hats. And so many Western hats. So he said he had to, they had to follow him and it would protect them. He would protect them from what was coming. Unsure what was coming. Maybe July 22nd. I don't know. Ooh, maybe. Maybe the reckoning zombies. We don't know. We didn't get that far into this handbook. I don't think he's got a handbook. No, I don't think so. I think he's making it up as he goes. Emily is 10 years old. And she's like, I'm skeptical. But she goes along with it. Yeah. He has told them throughout the years that he was a descendant of Geronimo. And he had the power to make it rain, much like Zulema, who had the power to control the elements. Hmm. And he could cure the sick. 
Okay. Mm-hmm, much like Chad. Could Chad cure the sick? Pretty sure. Pretty sure that was one of his powers. Yeah. He could cure zombieism, if that's a sickness. Mm-hmm. I think it's a sickness. It's not ideal health. So there were instances, apparently, where Lou had died and revived himself. Unclear. An animal was dead, and he revived the animal. We don't get much expansion on that, and I would have enjoyed much more on that and less of the stuff that comes later in this episode. Thanks, Dateline. I want to know more about the bringing people back to life. I want to know if it has anything to do with Pastor Biley and his group in Africa that was bringing people back to life. Does he have a resurrection stone? Okay. Right, right. Where is Nicholas Flamel in this? So Lou could see dead people. So can Haley Joel Osment. It's not that big of a deal. He was an angel named Haley Joel Osment. He had died several times, and this was his current body because he had been alive for like thousands of years. And this is what you picked? That is my question. Do you get to choose your current body? Because I don't want to body shame, but there's nothing special about his current body. Like, I would not choose it if I had the choice. Well, I think that's his excuse, right? This body was chosen for me. I'm not allowed to choose this body. It's something like that. You know, he's got something. I better eat Cheetos because this is the genetics that I've been given Mm -hmm. by my higher power. I feel like he would pick the most handsome person alive. Maybe he thought he was very handsome. Probably. He seems pretty delusional. Yeah, that's true. It's all about charisma. He's a cult leader, right. We've gotten a very good look at Chad Daybell in the past week in his hearings that have been live on YouTube. And he is not an attractive man. He is a very generic suburban dad. Yeah, he's just a dad with khakis and a belt. It's nothing worth killing zombies over. So Emily says... He was like Santa Claus to them. So she started to think it was really cool. Like, he has powers. That's really cool. But he was also very controlling. And he controlled everything they did. Dennis says he was a bossy guy, my way or the highway, which I laughed so hard because only Dennis can make this murderous cult leader and make him sound like a cranky dad who's going to pull over this car if you don't stop fighting with your brother. So Sarah finally calls it a cult. She tells Dennis it was a cult and he was the leader. Well, he has to pull it out of her, though. Yeah, he does. He's like kind of leading her to it. And she's like, cult, cult. It was a cult. cult. It is a cult. I'm not sure if Dennis should have pulled it out of her. I don't think he like traumatized her by asking her that. Maybe it's important to be said, but it's important maybe that they didn't say it up until now. So if anyone watching is like, that sounds like the family commune I live in. Oh, right. There we go. And then an hour later, Dateline calls it a cult. And you're like, I've been watching this whole time. It sounds like, oh, my God, am I in a cult? Maybe it was in a wake-up call for people. I don't think family communes are watching Dateline, though. Yeah, they don't let you watch Dateline in a family commune because of these kinds of episodes. They can watch This Is Us. Are they allowed to vote on singing competition shows? Can they guess who the masked singer is? Here's the thing. Of communes, how many are cults? It's a great question. 70%? 40%? Half and half? I am of the wanting to paint it all with a broad brush. And I'm the one that's like, it's an MLM girl. It's a cult girl. And I'll just be like, that sounds like a cult. So I don't know if I'm the one to ask. I'm sure there are sociologists who study cults 
and have an actual figure here based on the real definition of whatever a cult is. Okay, so Lou actually had three alter ego angels. This point, Dateline starts to do this B-roll that is like Lou's face turns into a drawing of Lou's face that gets warped into a demon face and then it gets warped into another scary face and it's all like that scary tattoo of Marjorie and the attic cheese that was so scary, but scarier. Like gremlins and... Right. So Justin was taking graphic design at University of the Phoenix and was like, hey guys, came to the office. It was Tuesday. I can do this for us now. Right. Look at this cool software I've been working with. Bloopity bloop, face Mm -hmm. morph. And we have that demon angel episode coming up. Mm-hmm. Look what I can do. Perfect timing, kid, because they call him kid. You're on. You're going to be a star. Dennis calls him kid. Yeah, Dennis calls him the kid. Yeah. Is the kid going to be in this week? Yeah. Let's bring the kid when we go to Kansas. <laughs> yeah. So Arthur was one of the angels. He was mean. Arthur is a nice guy name. I don't think that makes sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. Arthur, like nice, right? Nice. Daniel was kinder, okay? Amber was the angel of death. Okay. Amber's a teen mom on MTV with anger control problems and horrible taste in men. Actually, I take it back. It's a great name for a demon of death. Amber is angel of death. Amber Portwood from MTV's teen mom is the angel of death. (laughs) That's a hot take. Here's the problem that I have. One of these names is the name of an actual, I think it's a disciple, Daniel. Mm -hmm. It's a book in the Bible. Mm -hmm. As far as I know, Arthur Mm -hmm. lives in the UK and was not part of Jesus, his crew, or the Bible. And Amber is a stone that's in a ring. Well, they definitely weren't part of the Bible, and they're not angels, so this is why I have a problem, because you you pick two names that are very not biblical to be right. angels. Amber was also a polarizing character on the beloved medical TV series House. One of those characters that you hate, then you love, and then they die. He's just making up names is what I'm saying. So he's like picking people that hurt him and being like, Amber's the angel of death. And Arthur, who was my gym teacher, is bad. He made me do that rope climb and it burned my inner thighs. And I will get him back one day. Yeah, I think that honestly, he's just picking names out of a hat and going with that. But I think he's Kaiser Sozaying himself and just looking around the room and like, look at what's that on the wall? Art, sir? Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Art done by a her, a female artist, Arthur. Honestly, this is... So reeks of Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell. It's crazy. It's very strange to do this episode now because it's so Mm -hmm. similar. Yeah. So Amber is the really cold-hearted bee of the trio. She comes when someone's going to die. And she came before Emily and Sarah's mom died because Lou got a vision or Amber gave it to him, whatever, predicted that she was going to die. And... Now Emily is telling the police the truth about really what happened when Trish died. 
So it's very different from the story she told the police that day in the pool. Lou had had a vision that Trish was going to die. He had told Emily, it's her time. And I can't be there when she dies because it'll destroy my power as a seer, which is an interesting caveat. And I, again, is there a rule book? Where is that footnote? Because then he was there. So I don't really understand. So he can't be there because it'll destroy his power as a seer, but he's going to bring her back to life. Oh, by the way, Trish is at the dinner table when they're having this conversation, hearing all of this. She's in on the planning. So the day that it arrives, he tells Emily, wait with Trish's toddler. She gives Trish a hug goodbye, and Trish says, it'll be okay. Emily goes, takes the toddler into the workshop where they play with some kittens. And oh my God. they hear a splash by the pool and a scream. And then Lou comes in, and he was out of breath and sad because Amber... The angel of death has some clinical depression issues. And Mm. also I thought he couldn't be there because it would destroy his powers. Yeah, I don't understand. Okay. He said to Emily, she's 11 at this time. Emily is. Wait 20 minutes. Then you and the baby jump in the pool. So you'll be wet and then call 911 and tell them the story. And she does exactly what she's told. I was blown away that she could take this direction and act convincingly and remember what to say to the cops. Like as a kid. Yeah, it is very surprising. And put on this acting job. Yeah. Tell a convincing story to them. It's it's very sad. So Lou tells Emily that he put her in a time warp and convinces her that she wasn't even at the pool. Okay. Why doesn't he do that at other times? Like, why now that he's in prison, doesn't he just time warp his way out of it? Because there's no one that's 10 years old to believe him. (laughs) Emily waited for him to bring Trish back to life because he had promised that he was going to, but he never does. I mean, if I were Trish as an adult, Emily, she's a child. Of course, she's going to believe this. Trish, I would be like, I want to actually see you bring someone back to life or a bird or something before I'm going to go through this plan. Right. So Dennis tells Emily, you're not to blame. And she starts crying and says she's trying to come to terms with that. It's very sad. She's totally not to blame. Then we all know what's coming. I mean, we could start to feel what was coming. And Dennis is so respectful. And this is where your trigger warning comes in. And if you want to leave, we you can feel free. So... Dennis says to Emily, you can tell us as much or as little as you'd like to, because Dennis is amazing. It's very, very kind the way he handles it. So Emily started sleeping in Lou's bed with him right away when she was 10 years old, every single night. Where was her mother? I don't understand. So he said he needed... As a seer, he needed to, like, recharge his powers, and he needed a pure little girl to renew his powers. And so she didn't think it was wrong. She really wanted to take care of him. Where was the mom? He also did this emotional abuse between her and Sarah. Sarah's the older sister who wasn't the princess. He tried to 
put this wedge between them by spoiling Emily. And he tried to make Sarah very jealous of Emily. And he would demand things of Sarah and was not nice to her. And when she would disobey, he would rape her. And she says he raped her hundreds and hundreds of times. Where was the mom? He backed up his threats with demon things by saying that if they said no to anything, he would threaten them with purgatory. So they would be in limbo forever. But then the next morning, he would be like, that wasn't me talking, mama. Mama, he apparently called her mama. Gross. Mm. It was the demon talking. That was Arthur. I'm sorry, that wasn't me. So Dennis finally asks... Where was the mom? Thank you, Dennis. I feel like this is the fourth sequel to Where Are the Children is Where Was the Mom? Where Was the Mom, yeah. So Sarah said she was asleep in her house because they all had different properties, like different houses on this land. But she knew that her daughter was not sleeping there. She knew that her daughter was sleeping with him. Here's the deal. The mom is clearly brainwashed, right? Oh, 100%. The mom believes this so strongly, whatever he's saying, Mm -hmm. that, and he picks women that will believe that. Yes. That she thinks that she's doing what's right. Yes. And I think he picked girls who had a mom that would believe that and look the other way. Like in Abducted in Plain Sight, there were two parents there. So I'm not saying it can't happen in a two-person household. He brainwashed and groomed both of those parents to allow it to happen to their child twice. If you haven't seen Abduction in Plain Sight, it's on Netflix and it's that woman is so strong and she was at CrimeCon and was so lovely. She's so, so kind. I think she follows us on Twitter. So, so nice. Like mm-hmm. just was, she's just an inspiration. She doesn't blame her parents at all. She's like, that's why I do this because I don't want people to blame my parents because these people are so good at it. Well, this girl doesn't blame her mom. So saying where is the mom is, you know where the mom was. The mom had her own set of stuff, you know? I know. And maybe I shouldn't be blaming the mom, but I kind of am blaming the mom. Well, then you kind of blame the parents and inducted in plain sight, too. I did. I did until the daughter told me not to. Well, these daughters are telling you not to. They are going to have to talk, tell me one more time. I think... Part of healing is maybe you have to forgive your parents. Of course you do. Yeah. For your own sanity. Yeah. But I'm not judging them for forgiving. I think that's probably the right thing for them to do for themselves. Yeah. It's a weird, tricky situation. And we don't know how good this guy was. Although he doesn't seem very good at it. They never do, though. It's always shocking when you hear about this. I watched Jim Jones, and I'm so confused about how he had thousands of people, right? It just blows my mind. There are certain people who are very charismatic that we have known, like both of us, especially like theater people, sometimes very charismatic. What if I was like a lost type of person and I was going through a hard time? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'd start following one of our dumb actor friends. Mm -hmm. They're looking for the right person, right time. Right? These leaders are. They're looking for very specific criteria Vulnerable at that time in their lives, which anybody could be at a certain time in their lives. Absolutely. But the weird thing is, how many people are they talking to? Is he a very good people read? Kind of like how a lot of fake psychics are just very, very good people reads, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is he the kind of person that can see this woman in, you know, a supermarket Mm -hmm. and be like, "Mm, 
You know, and like, oh, yeah, okay. Or is he just going to work on her because he saw the daughters? I don't know. Is it like a numbers game? And he's like Boomhauer and just asking out 100 girls and maybe two will say yes. Exactly. So in regards to this family, now, why doesn't he have more people? Well, maybe he's just not very good at it. Maybe he wants to be like Jim Jones, but he is Jim Jones light and not as charming. But then if someone asked him, like if Jim Jones and him met at like a cult leaders conference mm-hmm. and they'd be like, how many members in your cult do you have? And Jim Jones was like, I don't know, a thousand or something. And then Lou would be like, I only have eight, but I only want eight because that's my magical ethereal number. And that's that I want it small. But so that's my question. Is this all just a ruse for the sexual assault on these girls? Is the whole thing a ruse? No, it's for the money and the sexual assault on the girls. Oh, there we go. Okay, so tell me about the money. By the way, just blanket statement. This is awful what's happened to these girls, and I'm so sorry. Horrible. Both of us are so sorry. Oh, my God. It was so hard to watch. It was so, I just can't imagine what it was like. So Dennis is like, what about all these adults at the parties? No one knew what was going on. Apparently, no one thought it was weird. Everyone looked the other way. He was very good. I don't know if no one knew or if the girls are convincing themselves that no one knew because the sense of betrayal would probably be really strong if you felt like there were all these adults around that just didn't care enough to say anything or notice. Or if it's true that he was that good that no one knew. Because sometimes they are that good that no one knows. But Sarah does believe her mom has to know now. She fully admits, she says, I know my mom has to know, but I know my mom was not herself. My mom was like very sick at this time now. She must have been. So Emily said that leaving seems scarier than staying. And he was saying all this stuff to Emily, like no one else wants you. No one else will have you. And all that twisted stuff that abusers say. But he's also saying stuff like I'm an angel and I can send you to purgatory. So. Yeah, that seemed to be the big thing is that they were very scared of like large scale religious damage. Punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Sarah said that she has PTSD and she's shaking. And Dennis says, I'm not at all surprised. Like, and it was so Dennis precious baby. Is she shaking so much? She's her legs are just, it's horrible. So they charge Lou with 28 degrees of sexual abuse and murder of Trish. Not the other murders because they don't really have anything on those. So Lou has cut his hair for trial. He is still not attractive in any way or charismatic to me. Emily and Sarah take the stand and face off against him, which probably was, it must have been just horrific. I really hope they let them turn around. I really hope that they let them not have to face him and kind of sit to the side. That was my hope. I don't know if that ever happens, but that would be I would request that if I was prosecution. Can we have them face the jury only and not the defense table? Do, yeah, usually don't you have to do the like, is that person in the courtroom and then point I, at them? I feel like that's movies. Yeah, that might be in movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might just be in the movies. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know, maybe. But I would just hope that in special circumstances like this where there's extended abuse that's right. of a child that you have the person. Yeah, 
So a handful of other young females that he did the exact same thing to, they all take the stand. None of these girls knew each other. They were in different states when it happened, and but he had done the exact same thing. And so they all took the stand and told the same story. Then we get to the money. So all of these victims had Dennis. Dennis, you had me. Dennis, you made me uncomfortable again. He said, juicy life insurance policies. Oh, he did say juicy. Juicy. All right, Dennis. I'll take it. You've been so delightful this whole episode. He had to work like double time. He did. You had to flip every sensitivity switch you have, and he did. He had him full blast, levels turned all the way up, and he really was so respectful and with such difficult subject matter. So we'll allow juicy. We will. Yeah. With a plum. (laughs) What? And where I'm allowing Juicy with a plum. Yes. I'm allowing it. So. Not the fruit, a plum. I don't have any plums. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what season plums are right. Plums are know. juicy. So They are. That- See, it kind of works. Yeah. See, and that's why. And then I why. realized you said a plum, not a plum. So he had earned $4.2 million in life insurance from all of these victims. What would happen was he would get his bank account down to less than 5,000 or so. Between five and 10,000. Between five and 10,000, and then someone else would die. So Lou takes the stand in his own defense because narcissists always do on Dateline. Mm -hmm. And because they think they're so charming. He also sits down with Dennis, our precious, pure... Dennis Angel and I could I was like don't you dare to speak to Dennis and Dennis calls him Mr. Perez and I was like don't call him Mr. Perez it does sound a little too respectful for him to say Mr. Perez I was like maybe it's like killing him with kindness but it's the problem is it's like when you're trying to be sarcastic and it doesn't come across on audio it's like Dennis maybe was trying to be like, well, Mr. Perez. I don't think so, though. I think but he was just... he couldn't even do it because he's Dennis. He's so pure. Oh, it's rough. Okay. So he says, who are you? And he says, I'm nobody special. I can't see the future. I can't see angels. There's none of that is true. First of all, he is charismatic in the way that he's a good liar. Because when he's saying the stuff about like, no, none of it's true. No, none of it's true. It's done like how I just did it. Yeah. It's a it's a throwaway. Yeah. The whole time. And it's like, it's so preposterous. It's done with this incredulousness that like good liars do. Does that make sense? He's not embellishing. He's just. Oh. But what it's also doing, you're right, is it is acknowledging that what he's talking about is nonsensical And so if he were to have said this stuff about Arthur and Amber and stuff, that would be ridiculous. And then later, Dennis says, you're a monster if this stuff is true, if you're having sex with all these young girls. And he says, oh, I agree. I would definitely be a monster if that was true. Like he's acknowledging that this behavior is abhorrent and that he's even repulsed by it. He's it's that how is how he's lying. Yeah. So if we saw this interview first, we may think something very different, like going into this, because you would have seen this person that's like, I mean, you would believe him. Yeah. Although I still think we would have. I like to think we would have known. But that could just be it's Dateline. But if we had just seen it. He's very good 
at like kind of twinkling at Dennis and being like, no, man to man. No, like he's he's good with people. I get it. I don't know what the whole charisma thing is, but in his interview, I wanted to see how like awful he was. And I'm like, no, he's actually one of the best liars we've seen. When Dennis is hitting him with the charges, right? Yeah. The way that he's deflecting them is... Yeah, he's not sweating or anything. He doesn't seem nervous at all. Not at all, because he's, well, he's a psychopath. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting to watch because I was like, how is he going to do this in a real way? And I was like, okay, he's going to go for it. I don't think he's handsome or charismatic at all, but he's a good liar. Mm. So he says that the reason he changed his identity was he was a mule and he was moving money. But then he says that he still has that money, but I thought he was moving it for someone else. He says he's worth half a million dollars and there's this money that is somewhere. Did he hide this money? Again, I have no idea what you're talking about, man. He's a great liar and really stupid at the same time because he's not intelligent. His story is very weak. Whatever he's come up with, this drug mule theory, is very stupid because he didn't think it through. So he's playing it off like, yeah, no, I don't know, half a million. It's like he's talking to a random guy at a bar and not a reporter who has read every ounce of this file and like knows the facts. Right. And he's cocky. So he thinks that it's just like how he goes on the stand at trial, right? Yeah. He's cocky. So he thinks that like his like kind of half truths or a half a story is enough to get him by because that's what's gotten him by forever is just being charm and like kind of playing off this stuff. He is a narcissistic liar who is dumb. Huh. I don't know anyone else like that. Let's move on. We're going to get letters. Anyways, that's why the names suddenly make sense. Why Arthur and Amber make sense. Because he's a liar, but he's not good at making up a story. So he picked stupid names like Kaiser Soze. Like, he did that thing where he's like, Arthur, Amber, Mm -hmm. Daniel. Mm -hmm. They're terrible names for angels. But yeah. So he calls Dennis Sir. At least he didn't call him Dennis because I would have smacked him. Would have reached through the TV like the poltergeist girl and been like, get our precious Dennis's name out of your filthy mouth. How dare you? How How dare you? you? So he says he didn't kill Trish. It was an accident. He did not rig the plane to crash. He had nothing to do with Brian's death or Jennifer's death. He says, no, they were all of age and willing consent. We were just having fun. There we go. Is 10 the age of consent in Wichita? Anywhere? He's lying. Uh Uh-huh. He says, how are we supposed to believe that Sarah was so terrified of him if she was dating a cop and there were cops at the parties every weekend? Why wouldn't she go tell them? Because they were clearly under your spell also and in your pocket. And you said you were going to kill her dad. She was terrified. Like every abuser. He So he says there was no commune. There was no cult doesn't work. He's found guilty of all 28 charges. He's sentenced to two life sentences plus 33 years. I've kind of thought he should have gotten three life sentences, one for each angel, except maybe Amber should have gotten two because she's a salty bee and needs a little more. He is going to jail forever. Thank God. 
He won't be up for parole until he's like 100 and something. Yeah. Cody, remember Cody? He says, I lost my mom and my sister. And then he says, but Sarah and Emily lost. And he he starts crying and he can't even finish the Uh, sentence. And I just, I just, I can't. Cody, where are you? Can I send you a a mug? Dateline. Edible arrangement. Edible. Do you want some pineapple? You're a good guy, Cody. Yeah, you're good, Cody. And then Dennis (laughs) saves the sad moment by saying to Emily, do you have an attaboy for Detective Goodwin and his team? What? (laughs) Using his old, his old folksy wisdom and his- Let him shine. Do you have an attaboy for Goodwin and his team for saving you? (laughs) Like You are laughing at what makes Dennis enough. I love it. Attaboy, Dennis. That's I say I have an attaboy for you, Dennis. Yeah. Because me too. your colloquialisms give me life. And this is when we get to the good parts. Sarah and Emily are trying to rebuild. And the sisters are now closer than ever because he had really driven a wedge. And that's something else these abusers do, is they know how to play family members off of each other. But the sisters are now closer than ever. And they're close to their dad now. And I was like crying happy tears. The dad said to Sarah, why didn't you tell me about all this abuse? Because he's just horrified when he knows. Dennis is like, because you were trying to protect him. You were trying to save his life by not telling him. That's why you didn't tell him. Sarah is married to Daniel and they have three kids. And Emily got married and has two kids and they want to help others. And... Emily thinks there are people out there who are watching that might learn from it and see that they're in similar situations, maybe not in the cult aspect, but in the abuse and the manipulation tactics, you know, angle. She says that she wants to help people and there are people out there who are being abused. And Dennis says, because Dennis loves Goodwin. He's giving Goodwin an attaboy. And he says, all these people out there that are being abused, they don't all have a Goodwin and a white hat riding up. Because <laughs> he just really loves that Goodwin. And Emily said, but there are white hats out there. And I screamed at my TV, you are a white hat, Emily. You are a white hat. And then I was like, did she watch Scandal? Because that's a running theme on Scandal. Yes, it is. I think that more they're going on too, not that they'll help people by just knowing that this will get better. Yeah, they this survived. This will be over. Yeah. Yeah. And our lives went on, Mm -hmm. got married. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm really glad they showed an update. That's great. Mm -hmm. And that they want to pay it forward and help people. I thought that was really cool as a way of healing. I thought that was really nice. So we have a promo this week from our dear friend. I love this lady so much. Jody from Reality TV. Jody! Jody! We love you. She's so funny. She's so snarky, you guys. Talking about 90 Day Fiance. She talks about Love After Lockup. She talks about Married at First Sight. And I've stopped watching Married at First Sight and Love After Lockup. So I can just listen to her because I just can't. But I can still listen to her and know what's happening. And then she nails 90 Day Fiance. She's wonderful. I highly recommend. I listen to her every week. And she's just really nice and a good friend of the podcast. So everyone check her out, please. Yay! Yay! 
Welcome to Reality TV, your source for weekly reality TV roasts of all the shows you love and love to hate. I'm Jody, and you can consider me your best friend who says all the things you're too polite to say out loud. Love 90 Day Fiance and Love After Lockup? Me too. Married at First Sight, Sister Wives? Well, call me Mary and sit at my wet bar because I'm saving a seat for you every week. From TLC to Lifetime, MTV to Bravo, Netflix, A&E, you name the show or documentary and I'm talking about it. Subscribe to Reality TV on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Reality TV. I'm Jody, and I want you to come join me. And until then, stay salty. All right, guys, check her out. Check her out and subscribe to her and leave her a five-star review on iTunes. Is there any B-roll? Everyone kept messaging me on Twitter about B-roll. Like, Kimberly, did you notice this? Kimber- something about hands I was supposed to notice and something about it, like a bag of evidencers. I didn't notice anything but those crazy drawings. That's all I noticed. And then there was a photo of Lou with fake teeth. Yes, that was very strange. I honestly hardly had any. I have one theory about something, but I have no extra information for this because I, and I watched it twice. I just, yeah. It's also the story was a lot. So I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, no, we don't, I don't have a lot of extras here. Branson, happy being on Dateline and are now associated with murder. Maybe just like cults, the non-sexual assaulting cults. We need to find out if cult is always bad. I think cult is always bad. So what are religious groups called that live in a commune with a leader that aren't bad, that you can leave at any time without fear of something bad happening? Like a kibbutz? Okay. A A kibbutz? Yeah. A kibbutz is not a cult. It's like a farm where people all work together. Could that count? Yes. Do they practice a religion? I mean, I think it's generally Jewish. Are they Orthodox? Like, do they strictly adhere? I don't know if they are. They probably are. But I think other people can come and go and like you could go and work on a kibbutz for a summer as just life experience type of thing. Like our maple syrup extraction excursion. Right. Yeah. A vocation vacation. Did you have fashion police? There was one photo of him wearing a Hard Rock Cafe shirt. And again, I was like, charismatic? Really? Not Hard Rock Cafe shirt? Hilariously, Hard Rock Cafe shirts for certain places are like very expensive. The t-shirts? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Hard Rock Cafe t-shirts are collectible. Oh, because they're like rare from certain cities or something. Okay. Well, they're still lame. No, I'm trying to tell you they're not. They're like normcore. They're not lame for certain fashion styles. Okay, but this photo was taken. This guy is not following one of those fashion styles. So He is not normcore. It's lame. But I would more expect him to be in a planet Hollywood than uh, Hard Rock. Kind of surprised. Are there two types of people? Hard Rock Cafe people or Planet Hollywood people? I don't want to say that. <laughs> She's nodding. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. I think I'm a Planet Hollywood person, I have to say. I don't know why. So, do you want to hear my theory about the plane crash? Yeah, I do, actually. How he did it. Yeah. Okay. So, first of all, I think the little girl was on the plane on purpose. I think the little girl had talked to her mom about the abuse, because we know that that little girl was also being abused. I'm. Sh- it's, yeah, it's Cody, obvious. Cody, I'm yeah. really sorry. I'm sure he already realized I know, but that must make this triply hard 
don't blame yourself. No, absolutely not. So I think she told her mom. So I think he did have her on the plane on purpose. I think he needed them all to go because they were about to blow him up. Because remember, his first charges were sexual abuse charges, right? Mm-hmm. I think she was, maybe the mom had started to become wise too. and was like starting to break out of her mystical trance. And so puts them on the plane for like the birthday trip. And part of his toys, besides the Corvettes and the cars, what was the other thing that was in that garage? Do you remember? The remote control airplanes? Yeah, which were huge. Yeah. The remote control airplanes were like drones. I think he remotely detonated the plane. What? I think that he used his remote control airplane. I think he did something with a remote. You mean used one of his planes to hit the other plane? No, I think... Okay. You mean like do something with the wiring... Through a remote. Through a remote. Mm -hmm. I don't think he fiddled with the plane before it took off because you can't guarantee that, right? But if you blew something up on the plane... But wouldn't the investigation have showed that? Did you see the plane? They do really thorough plane invest, like when. But a plane it was like in bits. Was there a black box on the plane? Do little individual passenger planes have black boxes? I don't know. I don't know either. But they said the plane was in fine condition. Well, then it's not a very good theory. That was just my theory. He was an airline pilot in the military, so the and Dateline seems to be leading us in that direction. Was he actually, or did he? Did Lou just say he was? I don't know. Dateline just said, Lou, a former blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that could have been all fake. I don't know. It's just a theory. It's probably ridiculous, but it just, it struck me about the remote I airplanes. think he had to have done something to the plane. I just don't know how he got away with it. Because yeah. I don't think he had the boyfriend convinced to crash them on purpose in hopes of being resurrected and to further the cause like Trish like how Trish was in on it. I don't know if he had gotten to Mona enough to have convinced Mona to have somehow done something to the plane and to sabotage herself and her daughter. I don't think the daughter was supposed to be on there because the way Cody said he kept saying she wasn't supposed to be on the plane, he, she wasn't supposed to be on the plane. And then Emily said she heard him say the same thing, that she wasn't supposed to be on the plane. Yeah, then you're probably right. Then maybe she wasn't. And then also, if the mom's out of the way. Exactly. Your theory still holds water because he gets the mom out of the way. And then he can still have the daughter, Lindsay. Although uh, why the dad of Lindsay wouldn't come for her still doesn't make sense. I feel really awful also for the girl's parents, for the ex-husband of Jennifer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That must be very hard. I know. I think he's just glad he has his two daughters alive at this point. Please stick with that. Yeah. And that they're happy and doing well. Like, yes. And they are, which is amazing. I know. Yeah. Do you think he convinced Jennifer to drive into the cement truck to kill herself? Yes. Or did something to her car? You think he convinced her to do that? Do you think he convinced Brian to crush himself under the car? Yes. I do too. And I think he did it through threat and suggestion, but I think there was a threat of, if you don't do this, something is going to happen to the child. Unless they just believed like Trish did. Unless they just believe, believe, right. Because Trish was fine with it. And what was interesting was in the court, 
they have to make that distinction and say they believe Trish was fine with this, that she was okay with this plan. But so it's not, but it's not suicide because his hands pushed her head underwater. So it's murder because that's what the law says, even though it would be suicide because she was fine with it. I think what he told Brian was, I need to bring you back as a couple. That's how this works. I need to bring back a male and a female energy at the same time. Right. And if it's just as easy for you to make that up on the spot, and he has years to come up with this stuff. Exactly. He probably doesn't do it as good as you did, though, just as fast, too. Well, we have well established that I'm very creepy. Yeah. So there you go. (laughs) Cult leader, Katie. Uh, Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Do you have any titles? The only one that I could come up with that was any good, uh, just because I think Angels and Demons is a really good title for this episode. Mm -hmm. Well, did you have any? Just Demons, not so much with the angels. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) I think it's better than mine. Mine is just Datelines All Time or A Date with Datelines All Time, Lou, Sir. Oh, okay. Because it's Lou. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. Angels and Demons is good. Let's stick with that. Okay. What's what does Twitter have to say? Do not read me disrespectful tweets right now or I'm going to start throwing stuff. Oh, I would never. That's not in my character. People were mostly very confused at the beginning. The first hour, I think, confused a lot of people. They were throwing a lot of states and a lot of people at us. They really were. Matt said, David Lynch thinks this timeline is incoherent. <laughs> uh, Emmanuel Tyrell said, Too many damn people in this story for us drinkers. Oh, God. If you're drinking during this, you're going to be crying at the end. Oh, my gosh. Wet mess. Yeah. Katrina, but with a mask, says, I recommend missing the first two minutes of Dateline because I have no idea what direction the story is going in. So this is quite a ride. I also like to skip the first two minutes. I think they give away way too much. Mm. Don't you? You want to try it? Oh, I just skip it. You want to try it next week? I usually don't. I usually skip it if I can. Oh, if it's like a new one? Okay, you'll skip it and then come back? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Your lamb said, do you have any idea who any of these people are and what is going on? Yes, no. It was a Twitter poll. It was about (laughs) 50-50. Kendra Smith, not understanding why anyone's still in the commune after two deaths, you got a dip. I agree. AJ Baker said, I'm fairly confident that if a person expressed me that there have been several accidental deaths that happened within a group that I lived in, I'd have to dip. Don't need that kind of energy. No, thanks. Mayor McLean, but did Lucy 2020 coming? Great question. Really good question. Wick, wick, whack. This is a lot of planning in order to avoid having to work. Yeah, just get a job, Lou. Get a job, man. Dana Sand, the good news is that since Lou slash Daniel is immortal, he'll end up serving his entire life sentence. That's a great point. True. Sally B, still waiting for the charisma. Sherry said, waiting and waiting. Tori said, okay, all my fellow adults out there, control yourselves as you listen to the mesmerizing cult leader, Daniel Perez. You know what's funny is I did have an inkling when they teased that he was coming on. I was like, is he going to do something wild? Is he going to like try to brainwash people through the TV? I got really excited, actually. (laughs) Is he going to try to brainwash Dennis? And then Dennis quits his job at Dateline and goes to live on a commune. And then Dennis wasn't on Dateline for a year. And it was like the mystery of Richard Simmons where people had to go to his house and look for him. (laughs) That's what I was kind of wondering. (laughs) 
this did not happen, but still. Oh my God. Your lamb said, my husband and I have had a conversation and have agreed that Lou is guilty AF. Good. Good. Your lamb also said, we should have an interview off where Dennis, Andrea, Keith, and Josh all have a chance to get this dude to confess to as much as possible. Ooh, I like it. Who could get the most and what would their technique be? I think is an interesting theory for a whole nother podcast. I think I know who would get the most. Andrea. You think Andrea would? I think he doesn't respect women. So I feel like he might let his guard down more with Andrea and be fooled that she is Cracker Jack smart. So how would she get him? Just by talking to him. How do, who do you think? I think definitely Josh. You think Josh? Definitely. Josh is kind of crafty like a fox. And I think that Josh would come in with a game plan. Interesting. Even though Josh told us that Dennis would survive the Hunger Games. Yeah, that is true. I think Dennis was great for it because Josh also can play the game that he's playing. The come on, man, the castaway. Josh can do that just as well. Yes, that's true. So I think you might get a harder push from Josh than Dennis. So while Dennis might be like really crafty and able to like, you know what I'm saying? Josh is going to get in there and get dirty. That's interesting. With Keith, I feel like he might see a fellow charismatic cult leader because Keith is sort of a cult leader of the Keith fan club. That is true. And I wonder if he would just turn off because Keith obviously does it better. So I don't know if he would even agree to an interview with Keith. Yeah. Too threatened. Too threatened. And also, I think if he did do an interview with Keith, we might get another sweet flying F. Yeah, that would be amazing. We might get another Keith F-bomb. Mm-hmm. Sunny D50 said, aren't we already in purgatory? Yes. Oh, boy. True story. Dateline producer said, the very talented Ruth Linkford, senior lecturer on art, film, and visual studies at Harvard University, created these imaginative animations. So Liz wrote, turns out Justin didn't do this one. <laughs> Anna Christine wrote, Jake did a really good job with the graphics this episode. Hashtag Jake the intern. And then wrote later, it wasn't Jake after all. It was Ruth. So apparently sometimes we say Justin and sometimes we say Jake. No, Jake is Tiger King and soon to be Pam Smart. He is not an intern at Dateline. Jake is not the intern. We've never said Jake is the intern. I feel like we usually say Justin. And then you sometimes use a female as well. Yeah, what's the girl's name? I don't remember. It might be Amber. It might have been Amber. (laughs) (laughs) Who turns out is also possibly a demon. Okay, great. Dateline asked on Twitter, do you think there are angels among us? Al Roma said, probably not named Lou. (laughs) He's not. He's the vessel. Lou is the vessel. (laughs) Daniel, Amber, and Malachi, not Malachi. Todd. It's like if he just said Todd, though. It's like Nick Snyder being a demon. It's not the right name. That's what I'm saying. Arthur and Amber are the laziest what-in-the-world names. Like, pick a powerful name. Again, Hezekiah. The angel of death's name is Hezekiah. It's got like a ring of revelation to it. It's killing me. And as someone who prides themselves on naming animals and stuffed animals Mm -hmm. very well in my own head I do anyways Mm -hmm. that is an insult among many other insults Mm -hmm. don't grumpy stop (laughs) 
Sorry, no one's going to get that unless they watch 90 Day Fiance. Watch 90 Day Fiance so you understand Don't Grumpy Stop. And then let me know what color you want your t-shirt in. (laughs) You got to make t-shirts. Kelly Kaler said, not a commune? Then it was the worst HOA ever. Oh. (laughs) I kind of like half understand that joke because I don't want to have an HOA. Because no one here on this podcast owns their own home. Because we live in Los Angeles. There's a new commercial with like featuring an HOA and a lady named Cynthia. You know, have you seen that commercial? And they're like, thanks, Cynthia. Cynthia's the new Karen. But I would like to be a part of an HOA. So check out our Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Be great. That was such a good segue. I know. We have great stuff on our Patreon. We do an extra episode every month that has musical episode because I get to add music to it and I get very excited. Oh, I thought you meant it was a musical episode like Buffy, Once More with Feeling. Like it was the very special. God, I wish. No, I'm not going to write a rock opera for an episode, although that would be funny. That would be amazing. We'll see how hard it would be. I have a feeling pretty hard. Really hard. Like it would take way too long and you'd get really mad at me because it would be taking so much time. So you're still working. Give it up. You're still working on it. I have other things for you to do. (laughs) (laughs) But we also do fun stuff on Patreon. Like this month, we have some very special surprises coming this week. Oh, yay. Really? You're going to want to sign up this week. Because we have an extra special thing coming, possibly two. Also, if you sign up at our $10 level, we do a live chat. Yes, last month we live chatted twice in one day for the apocalypse on the 22nd, and it didn't happen. We did, and Oliver had the biggest Michael Scott moment of all time. It was the best blooper ever, but it was live. And he said was, he felt like Michael Scott. It was Michael Scott and the Koi Pond. It was so good. Everything came crashing down. Oh, it was, it was so really good. really good. And there were costumes. Kimberly also always has amazing backdrops. I do use some Skype filters. She uses some Justin special effects that are amazing. (laughs) Join us on Patreon. It's pretty fun. And then also check us out on Twitter and Instagram. Kimberly is rocking it on both platforms and there's some really funny stuff. She always has great memes and good conversations. Oh, and follow us online because you'll find out what episode's doing for our Wednesday episodes and our double date with Datelines on Fridays. Yes. And that is all we have for this week. Thank you, guys. I know this was a sad episode. I think it's worth it. Yes, to see survival of the human spirit. Absolutely. And these girls are really brave. I'm very impressed with them for coming on such a big platform to talk about this. It was really cool, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're heroes. MVPs. We can be heroes. Who sings that song? Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Oh, check out on Twitter, hashtag clear the lists because a lot of teachers are being forced to go back to school even though it's really, really dangerous and they should at least have the supplies they need. So if you go to hashtag clear the lists, teachers are tweeting their Amazon wish list for school supplies, you know, glue sticks or some books or some paper and some cute stickers for the wall and folders and stuff. You could just buy like one thing if you see a teacher and it's like, five bucks and then just do it a couple times. That's all you got to do. Perfect. Give the teachers some love. Yeah. Give everyone some love. We all deserve it. Except Lou. Think of your fellow man. Give him a helping hand. 
Put a, Put a little, little love in your heart. If I could insert music, I would. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, 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 bye. Dennis, at this point, says to Emily, a seer. And Emily says, a seer, which I, you know I love, my three piece. <laughs> and I think we should do them much more often. We do. We just don't we do? do it as effectively. Yeah, because you say something. No, I set you I'll up. I was, gonna, I was trying to do something. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. We did. No, I was, when you said we do, and I said we do, it didn't work. Yeah, See? I know. I was ready. Let's try it again. No, it's fine. Let's try it's it again, a, and Adam can edit it in. So the moment's do it lost. again. No, do it again. <laughs> we do should again. do that more often. We should do, we should do that. No, say we do, because that's the thing. Oh, but right? I didn't. <laughs> I was setting you up for the we do. Oh, okay. See, we it do? really is not, it's not going to work. It's just not oh. going to work. Um, no, no. Wait a minute. We should do that more often. We should. We should? No, we do. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. It's fine. <laughs>